We are going through a massive deconstruction on the planet of our understanding of ourselves, of how we relate to each other and to the earth. And all of this is coming at a time of great change, the great awakening. And one of the massive deconstructions taking place at this time has to do with religion. There are people leaving churches in droves, seeking a higher truth. And if this is you, you'll enjoy today's episode. We have Carl Forehand and his wife, Laura, with us today. Carl has 20 years experience as a pastor and a counselor, and they have experienced a deconstruction of their own, which they call Desert Sanctuary. And they have a new book that they're writing together called Out Into the Desert. Join us to find out more. You're invited, delighted to discover who you are. Anything is possible if you believe. So join us on this beautiful journey. So let the show. Before we start this episode, I, Carrie Hummingbird, and I, Akeem Sami, want you to know that. You are invited. You're invited to, to join, join Soul Nectar Tribe. If you like what you hear on Soul Nectar Show, you will love being in person with us in Soul Nectar Tribe. We invite you to check it out. First 30 days is free. Right now, go to carryhummingbird.com, K-E-R-R-I, hummingbird.com forward slash membership and sign up. We'll We'll see see you at at our our next next tribe gathering. And now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Nectar Show, that show where we talk about all things essence, where we gather around the campfire and we share our stories of connection to that which is greater than us, to the big mystery beyond the veil, to those synchronistic moments that lead us inexorably towards a deeper understanding of ourselves and this planet and our, our communities and what we're here for. I'm your host, Carrie Hummingbird, and I love having these conversations week after week because they illuminate for me things about life that I can reveal in my own awareness. They give me access to something greater. They point the door towards another place to look for breadcrumbs to follow myself home. And today I'm, I'm really inspired by this metaphor that came through me about what is the difference between organized religion and the mystery. Cause I, you know, I operate in the mystery. I have a mystery school. And the metaphor that came through to me was organized religion oftentimes gives us the candle, the, the flame of the candle. And the flame of the candle points the way. It points the way that there is a light. But what a mystery school does is actually lead you through the darkness to the door that opens to the sun which is far greater, you know, the sunlight, the massive illumination of your consciousness to be who you actually are. And so we can't do it from a literal place. We've got to move to the mythic, to the soft gaze. You know, they often call it the soft gaze, looking softly at the side. It's sort of, it's sort of like this window that opens. And so we're here to really talk about this today. How do we move beyond organized religion into thriving in a new understanding. And so this episode is useful for anybody who's really gone through that transformation in terms of 
how do I find my way now without a church to tell me or without a pastor to tell me or without a priest to tell me or without all those rituals? What do I do? And also beautiful guidance for those or, you know, just sort of information for those who maybe didn't have that background so that you can have some understanding and compassion for the journey that other people are going through right now. Mm Because it's a big journey. It's a huge journey. So I welcome you to a conversation with Carl Forehand. Carl's with us today. Welcome, Carl. Thank you. (laughs) It's a pleasure to be here. Carl's been on the show before. He he formerly was, I don't know what the correct word was, pastor? A pastor? Yes. So formerly was a pastor and had to walk away from that. We're going to hear more about why. But he is now the founder with his wife, Laura. He is the founder of the Desert Sanctuary. And they are publishing their next book, which is called Out Into the Desert, Thriving Outside of Organized Religion. And of course, Carl has been publishing many books. He's also been on here talking about the book Being, A Journey Towards Presence and Authenticity. And so uh, as, as it happens when we start this journey, Carl, the inspirations just keep coming, right? So mm-hmm. it just keeps evolving the understanding. And I, I love that you've talked about being in the space of encouraging yourself not to be certain about anything. And so mm-hmm. as we head into this conversation, I know that that's all present with us today. Mm-hmm. For sure. Both of the books, or actually all four of my nonfiction books, were about my journey. And and none of them were academic books where, you know, I spent a whole book talking about one concept. It was everything I'm learning as I'm journeying towards wherever I'm headed. (laughs) And now it's, it's a journey away from certainty, you know, being so sure about these simple little foundational facts, or sometimes they're not even facts, but a journey towards at least presence and authenticity and other things we don't know for sure yet about. So I just want to thank you for being on Leaning Forward with us in June, because uh, your presentation was was great. And I, I'm still really glad it's in there. And it's preserved on video and we can, you know, we can go back to it anytime we need to. So. Yeah, I encourage people to check that out because that was a great mini conference that you put together, opportunity to gather and share ideas. And I love gathering and sharing ideas, even this broadcast, mm-hmm. because I never know what's going to come through. You know, <laughs> I'm in the mystery yeah. too. It's like, it comes out my mouth, even with my students and they're like, I'm just as surprised as they are. <laughs> you know, So that's right. kind of the fun of this. I think right. it's the fun part. Yeah, and in the being book, there's a chapter called Being with the Divine. And a friend of mine said, it, it's like, you, you know, you that was coming to you as you were writing. And I said, that's exactly right. That's exactly how all my writing is. It's, I don't know, I don't want to use a word and then not be a, the right word, but it's it's a vehicle. It's a means to an end kind of thing. So anyway. Well, you know, it's really interesting because I've been, I think as I've shared with you, I've been called to, by my higher guidance, to start getting out and going into other environments, you know, Christian places, churches, and speaking from this place of my lived experience with the mystery, and also to indigenous communities and sharing with them and encouraging them and and listening to what they have to say. So a lot of listening and and being holding presence and being in the environments, because we're in a time of great change, yes? And so the mm-hmm. certainty is is sort of collapsing. And so what's in its place? And I think that's what you and Laura are really offering to 
people leaving the Christian structures, structured mm-hmm. way of approaching an understanding of God, source creator, and moving into this journey of the mystery, which, you know, can be very unsettling. Yes. Like it's very, mm-hmm. like the rug just got pulled out from underneath you and it's like, wow, where's my ground? How do I even know what's true anymore? Right. Yeah, definitely in the beginning, there is, it's almost like we run uh, face first into the trauma that was unaddressed for so long. And then, you know, you can you deal with that, you deal with the darkness, the the um, repressed memory, you know, the repressed trauma and so on. But also then you deal with the, the fact that coming out of, of a system, the first thing you really have to look at is who am I and what do I believe? What do I believe? Not what did they tell me to believe? What was I shamed into believing? But who am I really and what do I believe? And for some some of us, that's frightening in the beginning because we were taught, if you don't get it right, you know, you're going to go to hell or something like that. So, you know, I don't, I don't think any journey worth taking is easy, but most times it's worth it. Yeah, it's a lot of questioning, which also I know, as I mentioned to you, I wasn't raised in the Christian religion. I wasn't indoctrinated. My mom mm-hmm. was. And uh, from an early age and just decided uh, she wasn't going to do that with me because she woke up in the middle of that and questioned it, kind of like you're doing today, mm-hmm. and said, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> and I'm leaving this behind. I think it's, she just saw hypocrisy, you know, all over the place. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I just don't, this isn't my path. Like, this isn't what makes me feel good. And and she's always been a philosophizer. Like she wants to research philosophy and she loved Plato and Socrates and all of these kinds of things. And so she didn't expose me to any of that. So to me, it's kind of always been interesting to have that sort of blank slate looking at it and from the outside, because there's lots of things to me that are obvious and it's not obvious to everybody else, you know, especially mm-hmm. with that heads that as an upbringing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do you, I don't know, I kind of liken it to being like, in upside down world. And then the thing flips upside right side up. And in the process of the flipping, it's really uncomfortable Mm because I've had that experience of my own domestications and things I was programmed with that I released. And in the process of releasing that, it felt like I was losing a part of myself, but then also gaining a part of myself. And then I got on solid ground, right? So is that kind of what you're experiencing or what you have been experiencing in your evolution out of Christianity? Yeah, I I, you know, I would liken it to PTSD in a way. You know, we were conditioned. I think, you know, most of what we are generally is is our conditioning. If we haven't ever, like you said, we haven't ever asked questions or been allowed to ask questions. When I when I was transitioning, people would say to me, let me get this straight, Carl. You don't believe in this and you don't believe in this. So I realized there was, you could have two different beliefs. And then after that, it was like they stopped talking to you. So, I mean, there's just the alienation, the kind of getting over, you know, we really went through all that. And now what do we do? What do we believe? Who are we? Uh, What do we do with our day? You know, after that, how do we replace income, which, you know, some of that never came back. And I think then there's, there's even struggles now as a pastor and pastor's wife with you know, reestablishing because people, once you share with someone and they are, you, you know, I don't have a different word than blessed, 
once they enjoy what you do, they're, they're like, okay, so now we're going to get it. We're not, we're going to group up now and we're going to write down our beliefs and we're going to start a new church or whatever. And guys like me run from that now because we don't want to do that again. We don't want to be locked in to that certainty. So there's all of those things. We tried to wrestle with those in the book. We tried to, first of all, take a look at organized religion and say, is there anything viable for the 21st century? And, and what, what actually is wrong with it? What's not working? And we found a lot of things. But then also, are we thriving outside and can we thrive? Or are we just faking ourselves out and we really should be back there? So there's so many things that you have to you have to deal with. We call it the desert. I mean, because that's what it feels like when you leave what you've you're comfortable with. But you know, it really is a beautiful place. We really do find that we can thrive here. And there's other people. There's other desert dwellers here. And it's good. So so what are some of the, uh, you just mentioned some of the things you talk about. What do you think is the most important thing, the message that anybody should hear that is, let's say, contemplating leaving organized religion and feeling like I just, it's like I can't even sit in the pew anymore. It doesn't feel right. What do you tell that person? So I think, you know, Rob Bell has an illustration about a fish out of water. You imagine a fish standing by the side of the water. I don't know how, what he would stand on his tail or something, you know? but he's looking at the water and, you know, observing all the things about waves and the beauty of that and everything. And the reason he couldn't see it when he was in the water was because it was too close. He couldn't see the water. He could see other things in the water, but he didn't see it. And I would say, you know, first of all, take a step back, give yourself maybe a year off. And if you can't take a year off, that's another question. (laughs) Why can't you take a year off? Is someone shaming you into going back? Are they, you know, tying that to your eternal security or something? But take a step back. And then what we really had to examine was that we were addicted to church. We were addicted to religion. Uh, There was a codependency there. We, We couldn't see that until we stepped back from it a little bit, and kind of noticed that everything about it was designed to make me feel good or feel something so that I would come back. And so take a look at that. And then we just, in the book, we just honestly evaluate things like, where's most of the money going? What are they doing with that money? Are those services things I need to be charged for? And, um, we looked at things like, would Jesus go to church, you know, and things like that. And then we, we took a hard look really at, I think this is an important thing. If people come into religion wounded and the religion promises to heal them, is it actually healing them? Or is it just like most organizations where most of the energy goes into preserving the organization? And so I, I think it's it's helpful to take kind of a logical scientific approach to, is this really doing what it says it will do? That's really powerful, you know, because actually there's not a whole lot of support for asking questions or challenging things, right? 
seems to me in some environments, maybe this isn't true of all environments, but it, it seems like it's not okay to bring in certain challenging things that might challenge the foundational principles. Yes. So right. for example, like the Gnostic beliefs, right? The Gnostic Christian Mm-hmm. experience, which is really close to what you're talking about right here. Like you're talking about experiential, you know, experience of the mystery, right? It's the, mm-hmm. it's the individual personal experience rather than like the top-down channel, you know, given to you experience from someone else is Gnosticism, right? So, right, and that is in the Christian faith. So where, but I've heard that that's like also shunned and, and, said that you can't look at that and if you do that's incorrect and all this kind of stuff right. but when i read that stuff as an outsider i go that's correct <laughs> you right. know when i read it as an i'm not, i'm not i don't have all that conditioning so when i read it i go yep that seems about right yep that 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 like it matches mm-hmm. what i'm experiencing at a, a from a totally different angle so what do you say to that yeah i say that a lot of things happened about 300 ad with constantine when this Roman emperor emperor joined the church back to the empire. And when they did that, they said, well, these are, these are the holy writings that we're going to accept. This is the canon. These are the beliefs we should be paying attention to. And this, this is all the stuff we shouldn't be paying attention to. I mean, I think, you know, in the Judeo-Christian thing, that up until a certain point, there was a, a habit of considering all those types of things. And I think if we if we'd have kept everything instead of gaining certainty, we might have progressed along the right path, but we didn't. And because we hang on to, you know, what we adopted in the third or fourth century as the answers and how to do church and how to do religion and how to what scriptures to pay attention to, what ancient writings to look at, and ignoring, for example, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary and all different other writings that might have helped us see the other side of theology and the other side of religion or or whatever we want to preserve. But for the most part, I mean, I think you're kind of talking about the way of the mystic, you know, and the experiential. When the Catholic theologian said, the Christian of the future will be a mystic or nothing at all. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. People have just We've had enough history. We've had 2,000 years of what won't work. And so I think it's time. And a lot of people now with the internet have that information and can consider all that. And that's what's, that's exactly what's happening. We're saying there's, there's that other way. Yeah. And that other way is in alignment with many other traditions on the planet, which makes a common ground from which we can understand our common shared human experience at a fundamental level, mm-hmm. seems to me like if we want peace, we, we've got to move away from entrenched positions and be less fearful and more loving and more trusting and more have faith and consider different perspectives and points of view mm-hmm. rather than sort of locking it down into some adversarial polarity that causes, you know, this unresolved conflict that just can never be resolved and keeps creating wars. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of people are, like you said, there's challenges, not only personally, but collectively, there's challenges. Some people would like to deconstruct for a while, but they say, even some of the famous people say, um, 
well, you shouldn't deconstruct too much. And then they want to go back into an older version of religion, <laughs> still, you know, post-Constantine. And essentially, we go back to doing just, you know, a few things different, but we still have the same habitual problems. I think that in America, especially too, because there seems to be a lack of information or understanding about how these texts get put together as well. I mean, I think that it seems to me, and maybe I'm just projecting this, but I just based on how people speak that I've heard say things to me from time to time, it seems like, gosh, they think that this was Bible was written in stone back when, you know, this character called Jesus showed up and then everything is exactly truthful and it was put in writing right then. And it's like, you don't, necessarily see that it's been revised and rewritten by countless how many thousands of individuals over time for various purposes. And I just happen to know that human beings have self-interest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if a human being is writing it, having channeled a text myself, right, from White Eagle, I know how challenging it is to be clear, you know, and to not put your self-interest in it or your own your own viewpoint and perspective, right? It's very challenging and it still comes through. I mean, we're in a body and a vessel where we might be amused, we might be a mystic, we might have access, but we are still channeling it down through a filter. So is everybody else, you know? So anybody else that wrote things that, that then contributed to this final production that somebody has in their church is, it's been modified. It's been right. revised and rewritten, you know? So how do we even know what was true and if any of it was true or if it's more allegory than literal truth. You know, it's kind of like all these questions for me come into play. How do you respond to that? Yeah, to start off with, it wasn't even written down for 40 or 50 years. I'm thinking like, how long has it been since we've been out of high school? My wife is here. My (laughs) co-author is here now. But Oh, welcome, Laura. um, Thank you. The, uh, you know, it's been 35 Something like that. Um, 40 years, something like mm-hmm. that. I know we've been married for 34, so it's been a few years longer than that. Yeah. Anyway, so 35 to 40 years since I was, since we were in high school. And I'm, I'm trying to imagine trying to remember an exact conversation from high school and to write it down. So that's, in the case of the Bible, that's how the scriptures that made up the Bible began. And then they weren't composed into a book for three or four hundred years after that yeah. <laughs> and then, then they like the left, giant game of telephone you they know? Let, yeah they left some of them off and and so on and i would I, I suppose you would find that in any any religion and so on so i would look at the bible as the apostle paul said it's useful there's things that we can pull from it because at some point it was somebody's exploration or understanding of god of the divine. And so there's something in there that's useful, but there's also things that we can pull from other religions that have been written down that are also useful. And I just, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the Hindu phrase, uh, sit, I can't remember the middle word, chat, chit, mm-hmm. ananda, mm-hmm. means ananda. Exist, yes. existence, consciousness, and bliss. And the stuff I'm discovering in the being book about being where you are and being who you are is existence and consciousness and where to find joy or bliss or however you want to. And so those those things overlap. So the truths 
that come out of all these different people's journeys and search for truth, um, we can learn something from it, right? It's not all truth, you know what I mean? But I think what we're finding is as we go inside that there's an internal knowing. You know, there is a collective unconscious or something that guides us and uh, beginning to learn about spirit guides and things like that. But all of that, I think, works together to say Christianity and this version of the book and this thing we discovered 500 years ago and this thing we wrote down as a belief 100 years ago is exactly it and is all you need to know. I think that that is foolish. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting to me because I often question these things. I mean, I didn't read that stuff because I didn't want to. I wanted to have my own journey. You know, I didn't want to have others' ideas. I wanted to go from scratch and just connect direct and see what happened. Right. So that was kind of the journey that I took. I practiced or learned things that would allow me to do that find my own truth in the middle of everything. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm on the other side of that, and I've not that I'm done learning because I'm not, but I, I have enough of myself inside of me that I'm aware of that it's okay to start branching out and learning about other things and, and bringing that into my awareness. So mm -hmm. I've been educating myself and I've been hearing things like, oh, well, a lot of these concepts, for example, that I'm particularly responding to in the collective of the United States didn't get introduced to people that were Christian until like 1940s. And mm -hmm. then the Bible was changed. And then all these concepts that have been very divisive actually came in at that time period. So it's, it's also interesting that, um, that that happened, you know, so you can kind of see like how different cultures sort of tell the story differently for their own purpose or whoever is the one that's authoring it or revising it. Right. Mm -hmm. So it kind of is interwoven with people and agendas. I mean, it can't ever be anything other than that because of people's perspectives and their desires or outcomes, right? What they, unless they're completely detached and can be a clear channel, mm -hmm. which is rare, then you, you're always going to have the, anybody who's revising these texts is going to be sort of injecting their own personal belief system and, and agendas into it, you know, whatever they want to happen, for example. So it's, it's just fascinating to see it as an evolution of people's beliefs as a sort of a collective through a period, through a, a sort of funnel, rather than it being like a, a community that always grew up together, you know, and always lived in the same town forever and ever and ever, although that does happen. This is a different kind of community that's influencing each other, you know, that's a global community that's deciding what's in, what's out, what's the languaging, what's the, you know, and because nobody can agree, they all have all these different mm -hmm. expressions, right? That's right. why people start new churches, like you were talking about. Instead of being able to just be in one space, hearing each other and exploring it together without having to defend a position. Yeah, so you, you know, we've talked about several times with the word questions and listening has come up several times, right? And I, I think there's probably nothing as important as those two things, asking and continuing to ask questions, but then also listening. I need to ask the question. I need it to be out there. And I need it to be, in my, you know, in my consciousness, but then I have to listen. You know, we have a new friend since we've started deconstruction and um, over the past few years, it's been simply because he and I were both ex-pastors and we did podcast. We did so many podcasts together that we listened to each other intently, you know, more than I do and more effectively than I do with my wife. 
sometimes, but that, you know, that deep listening, that evocative kind of listening is something that'll change the world. You know, we begin not only to ask questions, but to listen for answers. I think that that's a big part of our journey. And listening for the answers also is challenging for many Christians because of the conditioning that they'll get in trouble, right? Like they'll Mm -hmm. go to you know, hell, because you're, because whatever you're hearing is some dark thing on the other side. Mm-hmm. And what if it's just your ancestor? I mean, I know we don't like really love all of our ancestors. Maybe some of them <laughs> feel negative. I don't know. I mean, they feel negative in life, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not any different in death. I mean, so we, I guess we have to change our construct or our understanding of what's actually happening and who we are in truth. Yes. Yeah? So we have, that's part of what this journey is, is mm-hmm. understanding which is really, I guess, the biggest sort of revelation that a person can have coming out of a tradition that says, you know, God's in the clouds kind of out there is like, oh, no, God's in me, too. God's in the plant. God's in the, the trees. God's in the, the rivers, the oceans. This is what the indigenous people have known forever. And it seems like that's sort of the invitation that's being handed to people with that take the bravery to take the journey. Do you feel like that's something... That's like part of what you're experiencing now is a shift in that understanding of self. Yeah, it's it definitely is. It's definitely a part of what we're, what we're discovering in the my tea shop book. I, I believe that's where I talked about it. I had an experience in in the timber, or the forest. One day, it's at a place called the it's called the International Forest of Friendship or something in Kansas, and I remember. I have a little bit of Cherokee lineage in me. So I was, I was trying to get in touch with that and listening to the Cherokee morning song and um, out there in the woods and sitting on a bench, kind of in a cul-de-sac of trees. And I remember just having that revelation that the way you know I felt it expressed was, I'm a part of this and this is a part of me. Kind of a simple thought, but a deep, realization that even at the subatomic level there's communication and intelligence and i'm a part of it and it's a part of me so yeah those kind of realizations and then you know (laughs) once you realize things like that then it it blows up other theology and it opens up just floodgates of other information so sometimes it's overwhelming and we just have to I'm going to listen for now, or maybe I'm not going to listen right now. <laughs> I need some time to process. I need some time to let this sink in. Yeah. And I think so. What's the greatest gift that somebody can give a person who's just waking up to that, that maybe never had that experience of programming or just already kind of went the journey? And what's something that that person can do to be helpful to a person who's mm-hmm. just in that beginning stage of waking up? to this other reality. You know, Laura probably has something more profound than me, but um, what I would say is, number one, that you're not alone. Maybe you're the only one in your zip code, or at least that's what you think. I'm, I'm the only one in my zip code that thinks like that, but I guarantee you you're not. And people have those same questions that you have, and there's millions of other people out there that if you look for them, you'll connect to. So you're not alone. And a friend of mine named Aaron, we were taping a session last night. 
he used the expression, you're okay. You're going to be okay. <laughs> it's all right. It, it feels, you know, like all of your foundations have kind of been shook and, and so on, but it's going to be okay. This is a journey. You've gotten your security in the past from having the answers that somebody conditioned you to have. And that was a security and that's gone. But what, what you're going to be discovering is going to shake your world in a different way. And you're going to build new foundations that hopefully are strong, but temporary as you're moving on. I'm really curious, Laura, to hear from you as well, particularly to hear about how you found your balance again after losing the structure and the support of the church community. Yeah, that's a great question. As I think back, I think when I was in the midst of the church, there was a lot of imbalance there. So what I mean by that is that um, my experience was so much of the rules, if you will, of church, what was deemed permissible or impermissible changed. I mean, you know, you were kind of talking about how, you know, the Bible has changed over the centuries, because it's based on people's, you know, where they're coming from as their, you know, their interpretations or whatever. And so, you know, that happened to us quite a bit. And and then I would say that all of the attention for the most part was put on Carl because he was a pastor. He was the one that was going to, you know, redeem these churches, save these churches, you know, whatever. So when I came out of the church, I mean, I felt like, well, I was already imbalanced anyway, because I just lived so many years like that in the church, not knowing who I was, what was expected of me. And then a lot of twists and turns, thinking I was doing the right thing, but really wasn't (laughs) being the one that kind of was the beginning of the end of about three ministries that I can recall, you know, if not probably more. So coming out of that, I feel like I was already in balance. So how I'm becoming a more balanced individual for me was I just had to, I had to go inside, which is what I've heard you both talk about. It's asking myself those hard questions of who am I? What do I believe? Am I okay with myself not believing what I've always been told I needed to believe? you know, deciding for myself what needs to take priority, but going inside and asking myself those hard questions, just spending some time with, I don't know if you guys had talked about this or not, but you know, that whole process of focusing or just spending time with that inner child, that wounded part of me that just never felt like they were worthy or good enough. So for me, that's helping me to regain some of that balance that I I feel like I never really had for all those years inside the church. And don't get me wrong, because things always started out great at every single church. I mean, they, you know, it's kind of, they were just happy to have somebody there that was going to, you know, resurrect this dead church. And so it always started out wonderfully, but then soon the veils come off and you kind of see the true nature of people who want to be in control of of the organization. And so, but yeah, that's kind of a long way around to say that I am finding, and I think it's a continual process for me. 
I don't feel like I'm going to arrive at this balance anytime soon. I continually have to put myself back in check because it's very easy for me to forget about me and worry about pleasing everything else around me. So anyway, that's, I feel like I'm a continuous work in progress, which doesn't bother me at all. You know, you said, I love what you just shared, by the way. Thank you so much for sharing that experience. And one of the things that I can really relate to from what you're talking about is the pleasing, that pleasing energy. And I'm just wondering, when you were growing up in the church, did you feel as a girl and as an emerging woman that your voice was valued and that was, you know, whatever wisdom or knowledge you had was important? Um, No. And I've been doing a lot of reading (laughs) on this uh, topic. And I think that comes from the church. I did not grow up in the denomination that Carl was actually a pastor of. I feel like the denomination that I grew up in was very surface level. And that was just my experience. We, we went to church and, you know, we, we did all the, you know, confirmation stuff and, and, but there was never any true understanding for me. I never really, now that I think back, there weren't women in that held leadership leadership positions in, in the church when I was growing up. But I also, I know this sounds kind of strange, but I feel like maybe my home life, this not to place blame on anybody, but just the the dynamics and in my home life kind of brought me along to this place of being a people pleaser. And it's better if I don't say anything because maybe then it'll just all blow over kind of stuff. So it really lent itself, maybe my family of origin, that whole story more lent itself to being that people pleaser and that Maybe if I just don't speak and bring things up in church, then I won't ruffle any feathers or anything like that. However, I I always chuckle because I did. (laughs) Eventually. I eventually did. You know, I would do something that the church then had to call Carl in for a special meeting. And it really wasn't anything. I didn't cheat on him or anything like that. You know. Well, what was the kind of like what kind of thing? Like speaking up on something? Calling something out? I mean, what's yeah, the... You have yeah. to buy the book to find those out. No, I will share it. Um, so my daughter, our oldest daughter, turned 21. And, you know, like growing up, you have these relationships with your kids and you just always wonder, you know, by the time they're 18, 19, if they can even stand you anymore. And so that's kind of where I, you know, was. I mean, we had always had what I thought was a good good relationship, but I knew that she was growing and becoming more independent. And so anyway, she turned 21 and she said, mom, what I really want to do for my 21st birthday is I want to go with you to a winery and I want to have my first glass of wine with you. And we'll just, we'll sit there, you know, and I'm sitting here going, that's like, I felt, felt very honored. Number one, number two, I thought I've never been to a winery. I feel super classy right now, you know? So we went and I mean, if people could see, like they literally put an eighth of an inch of wine in this glass. So she took a picture of us with it and she put it on Facebook. And I mean, I'm sure anyone who's listening is like, oh, well, I know what happened next. But anyway, basically somebody in the church saw it and basically it was the beginning of the end. So Mm -hmm. Carl was supposed to be starting 
a ministry with a group of people and they said no because of that. <laughs> yeah, and they they were still willing to go forward, but it was just, you know, the shame that comes with stuff like that that people project. And other other people in different religions would say or different branches would say, Well, our our you know, our church doesn't do that, but I guarantee you they want you to act the way they want you to act. And if you don't, because I, I always thought Laura and I talk in the book about finding our voice and that was specific for her, or but I never realized I didn't have a voice either. I spoke every Sunday, but it was in certain lanes. I couldn't get out of these these lanes. So my like voice, no mentioning the Gospel of Thomas, <laughs> right? I mean, there, there was just so far you could go with certain things, and yeah, and every religion, every organized religion has those parameters. There's the, the, the parameters of the organization. And if you don't follow them, then extra people will co- come to your dinner meeting mm-hmm. <laughs> uninvited. And, and so and was, you know. was that experience, like when you experienced that, Laura, what were some of the things that you felt? You know, I think that because it happened at our third church and something happened at our very first church, which is in the book. And that, I mean, I went into a complete shame spiral. I was so embarrassed. And it was, I mean, long story short, Carl and I like slow dance together at a street dance. I know. (laughs) I know. Even to say it, I'm just like, I, anyway, I mean, we weren't being provocative. It was like a slow song came on. And anyway, you have to read the whole story. I won't go into it because it's another long long story, but I remember feeling so much shame, but also Carl was so busy and invested in this church that I felt like I suffered alone. I really felt like I suffered in silence. And to this day, I still have a a really good friend. I consider a good friend from that very first church. But the thing that hurts the most is like, she never stood up and said, okay, this is ridiculous, you guys. I mean, she danced with her husband and it was a slow dance and y'all are the ones that encouraged them to go. But anyway, so then by the time it happened at our third church, I was just like, I mean, really? Whatever. You know, did you I feel like you were under extra scrutiny because you were a woman? That could be possible. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I think we were because we we're the pastor's family. First of all, and these are small towns yeah, too. But then in that denomination, women yeah. had a place, and and apparently I wouldn't stay there. <laughs> I kind of, <laughs> I kind of fought, you know, I kind of fought against that. But then, you know, like she said, by the end, we were just getting tired of fighting it. You know, we started doing yoga and meditation. One of the key member key members got really excited about that. Fired some other people up. And we never had to leave any of the churches we left. And, and I'm I'm real determined and I I'm hard headed. And so I I would fight against it. But I think my family suffered because when people couldn't beat me, they would take side routes, you know, and some of that shrapnel hit my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they would try to fill your heart there. Mm-hmm. Kind of a lot of times try to go through me to persuade him and you know i wouldn't do it so but that is one thing i think that is really wounding to both of us and although we've learned to 
I don't even know the right word, but just learn to acknowledge that this is a truth now. I think for both of us, maybe more for me as a mom, the thing that that hurt the most is that our our kids saw it and they heard it. And that's that's painful because we really did try to keep them from knowing what was going on. But again, it was a small town. It was a small, small town church. So for me to think that that was possible was probably just an illusion and a, a huge hope. But unfortunately, none of them go to church, which is fine. But the reasons, I mean, I would have rather, and maybe they have come to this point, but I hope that they're to a point where they don't go because they have an incredible spirituality outside of the walls of the church, which is what I truly believe about each one of our kids. But I, I hate to think that that decision was kind of thrust upon them because they saw how much pain we went through inside the church. And probably they went through as well. I mean, we've never really sat down and talked to them, but you know, so many of the people that would come up against us had kids that were in youth group or that were our kids' age. So for me to think that they didn't hear things or things weren't said to them is probably not the case. And that that's painful. I'm still yeah. friends with a lot of those kids. <laughs> uh, not their parents. They don't call me. <laughs> <laughs> but kids are they saw what was going on though probably yeah yeah they're adults kids now. are pretty smart yeah <laughs> so what do you think is like a pathway forward because it feels like what you were saying that you were in small communities and small churches and things like that it seems to me like in those kinds of communities maybe they kind of stay put because they don't really want anything to change or don't want any influence from other ideas What's your idea? What's your sense there? Is that is that just kind of how it is? Is there any kind of hope of of opening people up to new ideas in these places? Or I can give my opinion first, but first of all, what the pandemic taught us is that some of those communities are faux communities. They're not real communities. They're based a lot on common enemy intimacy, like Brene Brown talks about. About they are something people are addicted to and so on, and, and realizing that, first of all, that, and that's why you have to take a step back. You have to get outside of it, and, and like the fish, you got to see the water. And I think when you do that, then you start realizing, you know, for a lot of us, we've been leaving our real community to go to a faux community, and it's just coming back to our real community and realize we have community everywhere. We have online friends. We have friends at work. We have we have a real community that we live in. <laughs> Especially if you're an introvert like us, you you don't realize the people right around you, you know, and things like that. So that's, I think, some people call what the church is going, the Christian church is going through a garage sale, and in most major religions go through like a two thousand year kind of death and burial, resurrection kind of thing, but. We, when we wrote the book, we wrote it two years ago, right before the pandemic, and we had to write an afterword on the end because of everything that happened in those two years. And our conclusion, there are two conclusions. Number one was, we still like the book. We still like what we said, but we, we had to write an afterword that says it's worse than we thought. 
especially certain parts of it, of the Christian church are not going to survive unless something, you know, radical happens to them, um, where they find a real humility. And, and they, like lots of people, lots of their people are going through deconstruction unless they as an organization deconstruct. I don't think they're going to survive. Yeah, I, I've always had the personality where I just, I hate to say that I never have hope for something to change. I mean, I always like to think there's at least a little glimmer of hope. And so, but I, I do think that, like Carl said, you either need to take a step outside and like really stay outside and evaluate what's going on inside the walls of the organization that we call the church. Or you just got to ask yourself those tough questions inside of us, which I think is hard to do. I think it's hard to do that because you have so many thoughts and people and things influencing that all the time. So, but part of me was thinking when Carl was talking, you know, I think with anything, if you have to double down on what you believe and it's hurting other people, Mm -hmm. you really got to look at that. I don't know how you can't look at that. When I think about, you know, when we were inside the the church, there were so many groups of people that we were given permission to hate. And I would just say to anyone listening, you know, if you really want to be a Christ follower, is that what Christ would have done, you know? So it, you got to ask yourself those tough questions. I mean, if, if we have any hope of changing, you've got to ask yourself those hard questions and don't fake yourself out. Yeah, and that's why taking a break is helpful because it yeah. gives you that new perspective. Because yeah. when you when you haven't been there for a year and then you walk back in, you, you can feel yeah. the vibe, you can hear the things in a different way because you're out of the trance. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what happened to me. And I think that's why Carl and I really struggled when we would like, go to church and come home from church because I had emotionally disconnected and I was just like this, yeah, I can't do this anymore. And I was trying to be, you know, again, a people pleaser and trying to do what I thought would make, you know, my husband happy or support him or whatever. And I just couldn't. And and there was even a time where we took a little bit of a break and then walked across the street to the church near our house. And it was just like, I was numb. The entire time I was in there, I was just completely numb because I think you're right. I think you are no longer in that trance. That's a really good way to put it. Yep. So very, very fascinating. Are there any last words of encouragement that you want to share? I mean, I know that you have tons of encouragement in your book, Out Into the Desert, Thriving Outside of Organized Religion. As we close up, is there anything else that just really is hard to share? For me, I would just say one of my biggest things was like I shared earlier, there were so many times where I felt like I suffered in silence. And by silence, I mean, I felt like there was no one around me that I could talk to. I couldn't talk to people at church. I couldn't share with them how I was feeling. Couldn't share with my family, not because, you know, of any, anything about that, but their family, they're gonna, you know, they're of course going to say, get out (laughs) or whatever, rather than just really hear my pain because they want to protect me. But I would just say that there are so many people that 
are where we are. And by we, I mean you as well, Carrie, that are thriving outside of organized religion that feel like what we thought was a very unsafe place to be is actually a very safe place to ask questions and and sit with people and just figure out what it is that we personally believe. You know, we have the Desert Sanctuary, of course, and that's our Facebook group. And that's a safe place to come and ask questions or just just talk, you know? I think that's one thing for me as a recovering pastor's wife or whatever. I, I still don't know of a lot of ex-pastor's wives or however you want to phrase that, that have experienced the same thing as I have. And I know that they're out there because I've heard other people share with me, but I would love to not, not sit around and bash, but sit around and I would love to just start to heal with some people. And I I think it's really hard to do. I know that it is for me very hard to do that by myself. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful invitation. So anybody in the audience listening, if you know someone, send them to Desert Sanctuary. And Carl, is there anything on the way out that you want to say? Yeah, I'd say one big thing that we haven't mentioned yet is learning something we weren't allowed to do before. And that is learning to trust yourself Mm -hmm. because you can. And as you learn that, it'll be revolutionary for you when you learn to trust yourself. And we, as I mentioned before, always say be where you are and be who you are. Being where you are is being present. Being present with our inner child and things Laura talked about helped us heal. But being where we are today helps us live life. So presence is important, but being who you are is that authenticity that's so important. You know, those are kind of the the rails guiding principles that we that make so much difference for us today. So oh, beautiful. Oh, I can feel your hearts in this. And I just want to say thank you so much for the work that you've had courageously undertaken on behalf of so many others and for setting up a sanctuary in the middle of that desert and offering to be in service, even as you're questioning everything yourselves. And that's a beautiful gift. So thank you so much for for all of your, everything that you guys are doing. It's gorgeous. I, I love continuing this conversation with you. And I love that you came on, Laura. So great to have your voice contributed to this as well. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. All right. Well, Everybody, if you love this, please check out the new book, Out into the Desert, Thriving Outside of Organized Religion by Carl and Laura Forehand. And of course, Carl has some other books, Being a Journey Towards Presence and Authenticity. You can find that all on Amazon, I'm sure. And then also check out The Desert Sanctuary on Facebook. And in the meantime, leave us a nice review on this uh, on this episode. And if you have a friend that's in this spot of questioning and share the episode, share it out. Be courageous, share it out. And so we're going to give you guys kisses. So here we go with kisses. I promise you, no COVID. (laughs) Here comes the kisses, everybody. You guys can join me if you want. We're going to give kisses. And I love you guys so much. Love you guys. Thank you. And have a great time, everybody out there in Soul Nectar land. We'll see you next week. Bye for now.
If you found even one gold nugget in this episode of Soul Nectar Show, will you do us a favor? Will you subscribe, like, and share this episode? Maybe even write a comment and let us know what you thought about it. We really, really want to engage with you at a much deeper level. Let's be part of community together. Have a great week, everyone. Bye for now. To dive in deeper to nourishing conversation, visit soulnectar.show. Take a sip from the drip of the nectar, from the source of who you are.